Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well then, two of the singles semi-finals are set at the Australian Open. We have Madison Keys against Ash Barty in the top half of the women's singles and in the bottom half of the men's we have Matteo Berrettini against Rafael Nadal. We've all been watching the whole day's play, full disclosure. Matt and I have done that from the comfort and air conditioning of our apartment because it has been too hot to leave the flat today and we were feeling guilty about that until Rafael Nadal, the physical colossus that is Rafael Nadal, confirmed that he was feeling pretty horrible in the heat today and we feel seen, we feel validated, (laughs) we feel comfortable in all of our choices, Matt. Yes, we also went to bed at five o'clock in the morning last night and I don't know whether Nadal did or didn't. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, today was a struggle. Today was a recovery day that I think everyone needs doing a Grand Slam. Nadal's got two of them coming up. Um, and yes, the, I think there was a moment where we considered going in. But gosh, once once we decided to just stay put here, I think that was... That was an okay decision. I feel okay about our choice. We'll be back in tomorrow, I promise. And I know a lot of people that are that are suffering terribly cold winter conditions, conditions wherever in the world you're listening, are, are rolling <coughs> their eyes yeah. at us right now. I get that. I would be doing that at me uh, in your position, folks. But the thing with the cold is that you can layer up, you know, you can pop a big coat on. There is a limit to how many clothes you can remove in the heat. Um, especially in a workplace. Especially you know, if you're not in your own apartment all day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, but David, I, I, I feel your pain. I understand it has been rather cold yeah, in Solihull today. I, I did wear three hoodies this morning and uh, and it still wasn't enough. So uh, I've sent out for more. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, um, it is interesting though, isn't it? That, I mean, just, just as a little insight into the Grand Slam life, I mean, that's one of the reasons we always used to love that middle Sunday at Wimbledon is, is the only one where you got a, a sort of break, which you were kind of 
had built in that was allowed for everybody to have. But um, the others are are grueling and relentless. And um, yeah, I think uh, sometimes you do have to just not try to do everything all at the same time. Listen to me talking as though I've ever done that. But um, I'm, I'm <laughs> learning. growth. <laughs> growth, yeah. We've, we've gifted ourselves a middle Sunday, except we spent the whole thing watching tennis and uh, set a new world record for number of deliveries in one day, I think. Hashtag no regrets. In, including, um, including a standalone ice cream delivery I saw. Yeah, we do, we deliver rude ice I've cream. I've never seen anybody do that before. We had the aircon on full pelt at 16 degrees and was still uncomfortably hot. Mm. It really was... Well, I mean, Nadal struggled big time today. It made him ill. I don't know if there was something else going on. I don't know whether he'd been to the same restaurant Matteo Berrettini went to before his first round match. But Nadal was in a bad way today and it's what caused him to get involved in a five set thriller he won through in the end uh winning the fifth against Denis Shapovalov but for the first two sets that were won by Rafael Nadal Denis Shapovalov wasn't in that match I mean the level from Nadal varied I think he was brilliant in the first set really dipped in the second but Shapovalov was nowhere near. He was in he was in rabbit in the headlights mode. He was panicking. That I think I'm not excusing it, but that I think is the reason for some of his pretty poor behaviour on the court and 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 really um disheartening, depressing things that he said about the umpire, which we'll get on to. Um but he was he was a rabbit in the headlines, lights. It was it was reverse hashtag growth. It was it was re- reversion to type, and it would it was like you know junior tennis again from Denis Shapovalov. Didn't know what to do out there. Nadal was brilliant, and it this is not Denis Shapovalov's take on the match. It should be said he reading his transcript explaining his perspective on things. It was like he watched a different match to us, and look, he was there. <laughs> we weren't um so i'm you know i'm not going to tell him he's wrong but our take on the match was that it required a significant drop in level for shapovalov to get any foothold yeah i think so i mean those those first two sets in particular were like two people had a kind of code to crack and nadal had all the instructions of how to do it and was sort of methodically going about it and doing it in the right way. Whereas Denis Shapovalov didn't really have a clue and was just sort of randomly plugging in numbers and hoping for the best. And the sort of difference there is Nadal's tennis IQ. He he was hitting the right shot at the right time. He was doing the right things. He was playing really, really well, Nadal, especially in that first set. But Shapovalov was really all over the place, just as you said, going for shots that weren't on, just a, just everything we said about his match against Zverev, you could just throw in the bin. <laughs> it, was, it was the complete opposite of that. Um, and then I think, you know, one big thing throughout that as well was he was really struggling on return. I mean, Nadal was just rolling through his service games most of the time. And Shapovalov's return, I think, is... A weakness, and it's especially hard against Nadal because 
you can't block a return against Nadal because it just sits up for him into his forehand. So he was really sort of having to try and swing at it and just not making enough returns, to be honest. And that was a problem for him. But then, as you said, my take on it was Nadal dropped a lot physically. He he didn't have much energy. His shots stopped having much on them. And then that was when Shapovalov started to play. That was when he started to make an impact with his shots. That was when he started to do more of the right things. And yeah, in sets three and four, I thought Shapovalov was the better player. Absolutely. But it for me, it required Nadal to dip. When it was a sort of even contest between two people physically okay, it wasn't really much of a match, to be honest. Nadal was was way superior. David, you were up in the middle of the night watching this, even though you weren't supposed to be. It was it was breaking your curfew rules. Um, and you were told so on the WhatsApp group. Um, <laughs> do you, is your take on the match more aligned with Shapovalov's take on it, which uh, I'll get on to in a minute, or, or do you have the same impressions that, that Matt and I had? Yeah, I have the same impressions that you both have. Uh, I thought it was really disappointing from him in those first two sets, and but it was vintage Nadal. I would also add that that was like a that was like rolling back the years for for Nadal for the first two sets. Um, he did slip dramatically off that, and he started to look bothered, hot and bothered, and uncomfortable. Slowed down. He seemed to be shuffling around the court in between points, as though it really wasn't well, and he had to take a tablet and. I think the good news is I think Shapovalov caught himself just in time because he did manage to settle down and stop being, mm. a, frankly, being a brat, which he was being for two sets. And I, and I can only imagine having heard from Jamie Delgado, his new coach, a couple of days ago about what he wants from him and I'm sure what Dennis wants from himself when he's calm and off the court and sensible – that it will be a massive disappointment. He has to look at this match and watch it back and be embarrassed by it, his behaviour. You know, the, 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 not just the actual things he said, which calling uh, calling an umpire or, or saying that all umpires are, uh, are corrupt is, is utterly unacceptable. And he faces, I would imagine, a massive fine, even though he did sort of climb down and say he misspoke in the press conference afterwards but the the whole argument that he had what an absolute waste of energy and time that was for him um waste all of his emotion on just arguing with the umpire about how much time Nadal's taking as soon as he did that I thought this isn't the player we saw two days ago this isn't the the the, the player who's growing up before our eyes and trying to take it to another level this is Denis Shapovalov who's been frankly disappointing for the last two years because he he just isn't progressing he's just bailing out in matches and losing his temper and thinking looking for something to blame looking for excuses and no that's not good enough but he in the third set I think he did a recognized that and that he calmed himself down and he didn't just throw his toys out of the pram completely he settled down and played properly and Nadal let him back into the match and then suddenly Shapovalov hit a, a vein of form that is is so thrilling to watch because it was still controlled but to to quote the words of John McEnroe on Eurosport afterwards which I think was a great way of putting it he said the ball was exploding off his racket 
and and he has that ability to to take your breath away with how hard he can hit the ball. And when they went two sets all, honestly, I thought he was going to win. I did not see how Nadal was going to physically recover. He looked in such a bad way. But fortunately, it appears that there was there was some sort of ill illness. It wasn't kind of an injury. I thought it, when he was first touching his stomach, it reminded me of when he pulled that stomach muscle against Marin Cilic in the in the quarters or the semis a, a few years ago when he was really in pole position, two sets to one up, and he ended up losing. Um, but that wasn't a muscle strain. It was whether it was cramp or you know dehydration or whatever it was. Maybe they gave him salt tablets or something like that. Suddenly, you know, in this, but he manages these situations. He managed that fifth set, and Shapovalov lacks that experience. And I'm not trying to make excuses for him because I think he should know better. But that's the area he has to learn from. He has to look in the mirror and not be satisfied with himself. Not be not be thinking I'd have been okay if it wasn't for the umpire or if it wasn't for this or Nadal's impact on on everything because of who he is. No, you've got to look at yourself. And change. Mm. Yeah, I agree. And I I know the press conference quotes, although, you know, you've calmed down from the very immediate aftermath, it's all still very raw. And that would be an extremely painful defeat for Denis Shapovalov. So I do cut a certain amount of slack. But I was I was disappointed in his comments afterwards, you know, to, to I think he, he said twice that he misspoke um, in those comments he used saying... Uh, all umpires are corrupt. Well, just say, God, I was an idiot for saying that. I shouldn't have said that. I was wrong. It was heat of the moment. I was wrong. You need to be saying that. You need to be apologising for saying that. That's that's a heck of an accusation to, to a man just, just trying to do his job. And whether you think he's doing his job well or not, you can't just toss stuff like that out there. And, you know, Nick Kyrgios has been casually dragging umpires this week and... They get a really hard time, umpires. They don't do a perfect job. They're humans. They're fallibles, fallible, but they're not blooming corrupt. Um, and he should be apologising for that. And I cut him a bit of slack for not doing it immediately, but I hope at some stage um, he will do. And I hope he does receive a fine for it, to be honest. His his take on the match, as I said, he, he was asked... Um, at what point did you notice that Nadal was maybe struggling physically? And he said, I mean, I don't think he was struggling physically. We were both struggling physically. It's a five set match. So I don't, uh, uh, so I don't think, I mean, obviously he called the trainer for painkillers, this and that. And then he goes on to say, uh, I mean, I have aches and tears as well. I haven't been a hundred percent the whole tournament. So I don't think it's something that I paid any attention to. I mean, I get that, the whole, you know, I'm focused on myself. I'm not trying to get too bogged down in what he's doing. But Nadal was in a bad way. He looked like he was sort of in danger of being sick on the court. He was he was wilting in those conditions. He really was. And I actually hadn't thought of that as a scenario before the match. We They came onto court immediately following Madison Keys and Barbora Krachikova. And that match in all honesty, it was pretty horrible. It was low quality. I felt, felt the, the whole thing feeling quite angry that it was scheduled at that time because not only is it in the most vicious heat of the day, but you've got the sun at its absolute peak wreaking havoc with the serve and just neither of them were in a physical state to be able to to string anything together, quite frankly. Madison Keys looked a bit under 
underpowered. Krachikova was really suffering. It was it was a it was a low quality tennis match in all honesty. And and even so, having watched that just sort of minutes before, I just didn't think those conditions would be a factor for Nadal today. I think as they were walking out, I said to Matt, "Have we ever seen Shapovalov playing conditions like this? He's awfully pasty, isn't he? I hope he's I hope he's got the sun cream on and." You know, to be fair, Shapovalov physically, he did not lose that much physically. I think he is, he's fit, he's strong, he, he was in good shape out there. But yeah, it was, it was serious today, that, that heat. It was, it was suffocating and it's, it's not due to relent, actually. It's, it's supposed to stay pretty darn hot for the rest of the, of the tournament. There were so many parts of that press conference that Shapovalov gave, which, I think he he should regret, to be honest. I mean, all of the stuff about the time as well that, that Nadal was taking. And like he, he very explicitly said, Nadal gets preferential treatment. Again, that's a big thing to throw mm. out there without a lot of evidence to back it up. There's sort of anecdotal evidence, I suppose, people have got. But they brought up a graphic today that Nadal was taking 31 seconds between points. Yes, that's over. But Shapovalov was taking 29 as well. You know, this was, I think, in the fourth set when that graphic came up. It was certainly after Shapovalov had made his accusations and started getting annoyed. And look, generally to me, that whole press conference just sounded like a football manager blaming a referee's decision when the team has given away three sloppy goals and saying we lost that because of something else. Actually, I think Chapovalov lost that because of himself. Because, okay, you can you can point to the first two sets, but fair play to him. He, he hung in there. He took it to a fifth. But then in the fifth set, he was all over the place. I mean, again, he was going for shots that he shouldn't you know poor shot selection he was overplaying was was very much the very much the analysis of Leighton Hewitt in the commentary box and yeah just just making bad decisions had had a couple of sloppy games one in particular to lose serve and that's that's what he should be looking at not not some sort of far-fetched idea that there was corruption or Nadal was being treated far more favorably than him no he he lost that for tennis reasons and they were they were tennis reasons that he had control over yeah absolutely and frankly Nadal's comments afterwards back that up you know he 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 was asked how worried were you at the start of the fifth set and there are parallels here with with the night session men's men's match that we've just watched between Matteo Berrettini and Gael Monfils that we'll get on to talking about. But he said, of course, in the beginning of the fifth set, I was very worried, of course. But more than worried, I thought it was going to be super difficult to win that match. And of course he said no on the end. (laughs) Um, You know, I, I really feel like with all the factors involved, momentum added in as well, that was Shapovalov's to lose and he lost it. Um, and yeah, I hope he takes some proper time to reflect on that and, and, and build on it. And, um, yeah, there, there, there were, there were many things to regret, I think about that performance today, but my goodness me, Nadal is incredible, isn't he? And just on the preferential treatment thing, it annoys me the time he takes as well. It really does. 
I love Nadal. I love watching him. I'm, I'm, it makes me, you know, emotional seeing, seeing what he's doing, you know, and the whole very genuinely as recently as two months ago, really not knowing if he'd be able to come back at all, quite frankly. I love that story. I'm so oozing with admiration for him, but it, it impacts my enjoyment of his matches, the time he takes. It does. My mind wanders. My attention wanders. I find it frustrating. But I don't think there's a big conspiracy about it. And I also don't think he's going to change now. And I think, you know, yes, the umpires apply discretion sometimes. But barring the odd occasional moment, I think it's sort of managed pretty well I know that's a very sort of fuzzy non-concrete assessment of the situation but you know he's 35 he's not changing now ended up um, giving him a time violation and didn't he, they he, on a break exactly. point and, and Carlos Bernardes as Nadal pointed out in press is one of those umpires that has been particularly harsh on him over mm, the years they, they fell out didn't they the time violations yeah he was on his uh his no list um, which all umpires have. It's not as dramatic um, dramatic as it sounds. But Carlos Bernardes went through a period where he wasn't assigned to Nadal's matches. So I just don't think there's any big conspiracy or massive preferential treatment as much as I, you know, share some of the frustration. And I'm sure if I were in Shapovalov's position, I would f- I would find it massively frustrating in a, in a different way. But it's part of part of managing those matches, isn't it? It's part of growing up as a tennis player and there wasn't there wasn't much hashtag growth out there today. David, you need to give him some some lessons. <laughs> yeah, I'm good at growing. Um yeah, uh no, I mean look, I I, th- I actually think Nadal did a great job at regrouping in that fifth set. And and as you say, what an amazing story, but Big missed opportunity for Shapovalov. It was it was always going to be harder to win the fifth set than it was the third and the fourth, given where it was and given who he was up against. But it was an opportunity. And you, you don't know how many you're going to get in your career, do you? Just on Nadal's recovery, I thought he he served a lot better in the fifth set. He, I mean, he served, I think, a record number of double faults for him in, in the match today. But he got it together in the fifth set and then... Some of the quotes he gave afterwards. What did he call it? A a present of life that he's playing tennis again. It's a present of the circus of life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, he's 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 turning philosopher this week, isn't he? He's all the feels. Um, yeah, and look, he, he's he's look, he's always frank, um, very honest about his body and so on. Some people think he's sort of overly honest about his body but um he's he he was very keen to point out what good news it is for him that he now gets two days off before his semi-finals he said I'm not 21 anymore uh and uh, he's very glad to have that recovery time just in terms of the the missed opportunities thing David and Denis Shapovalov and the whole you never know how many you're gonna get well he's 22 Gamalfis is 35. So if that applies to, to Denis Shapovalov, then how many times do we multiply it by for, for Gamalfis, who yeah. came, who's, it was a very different match, but in terms of the pattern pattern of the match, two sets down, comes back to level it at two sets all, is the favourite, I think, in most people's eyes, going into the fifth set. 
and squanders that momentum? Well, I feel like all four of the men's players today reverted to their their DNA. And um, we've talked about Shapovalov and Nadal. Nadal spent 20 grand slams worth of, of and all the rest of, of performing like he did today when the chips are down. Shapovalov, we've talked about. Gaumont Fils is 35 and it's another missed opportunity ultimately, isn't it? And he got himself in a hole, two sets to love down. Then he started to to come alive and play, took his advantage, his chances when Berrettini started to flag a bit and got it to two sets all and the momentum's going and the place is going ballistic and, you know, we're all excited and the emotion is rising all around and... And then he just goes flat again. And he goes, what, three love down? And and double break? And to be fair, look, Berrettini really stepped on it as well. He, fair play to him. He, he stomached the disappointment of losing two sets in a row. He's a brilliant at regrouping. And when I say these, he, he, he reverted to type as well in that he just keeps on going. He is the the sort of diesel truck of tennis. He just do, keeps Do you know what he is, along. David? He's agricultural. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he sure is. And he doesn't let you down. He doesn't let his fans down. He doesn't let, he doesn't let anybody down. He's, his coach, he knows what he's going to get from him. Keeps on clocking in, clocking out. It's not necessarily spectacular. I mean, it's, in terms of ball striking, he's got this big forehand, but his strike is a thud. It's not the explosion, the the, the thunder crack that Monfils, when he goes for it, gets and what Shapovalov gets when he goes for it. They've got a different ping off the strings and you see the ball go through the air and, and it's 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 something you, you're focusing in on it and, and really, am I watching that? You don't get that with Berrettini. It's just this this relentless thudding of a forehand and, and boom, boom, boom until the door eventually caves in and... Here he is again, delivering again, and fair play to him. But I think Monfils, I don't know. I mean, he's such a lovely bloke, and he's he's got such a, a great outlook on life that I think whatever he finishes his career with, he'll be he'll be happy enough with. He'll be okay with. But if you if you want to look at it, it's another missed opportunity, and he's had a lot of them. I think that's a really good summation of the day actually uh, the sort of threads between those two matches it was people showing us what they are I think we I certainly like to sort of think that people change a lot and it's it's interesting to tell stories of people growing and developing and we have seen some from Shapovalov this tournament. I still think that before hmm. all our Canadian friends so email I. us again. Um, he's just got to, he's got to focus in on the good bits and and say that's going to be my DNA from now on. I'm going to make that my DNA. If you can do that, I don't know even if that's possible. But <laughs> that the the fact that there are signs there, surely you know, he's Jamie... changing your DNA, Dennis. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, no biggie. But yeah, I mean, the Zverev match <laughs> happened. That's great. And then I suppose, yeah, absolutely. Nadal showed us what he is. Monfils, I really thought it was different this time, and it wasn't. And Berrettini is becoming a really strong, consistent performer in Grand Slams who's very, very tough 
to beat over five sets. You know, the last guy to beat Berrettini at a Grand Slam that wasn't Novak Djokovic was Daniel Altmaier at the 2020 French Open, the one that was played in September, October. Since then, no one else but Djokovic has has beaten him. And he, he showed that intensity again in the fifth set tonight and yeah he's he's a tough out as as some people might say and yeah i think i think you're onto something there this was this was a day of people showing us what they are can i just submit a tiny bit of evidence that that while gamofis has not managed to change his dna i'm not arguing that but just a tiny bit of evidence that it was a little bit different this time i do think a past Guermont might not have won those third and fourth sets. And I also, they they ran in in the Channel Channel 9 coverage that we were watching. They ran in footage of the final stages of the match that Monfils and Berrettini played at the US Open in 2019. That epic match that was won 7-6 in the fifth by Matteo Berrettini. And Guermont was grinning broadly in the handshake and hug at the net. He looked like he was completely fine with winning. He was delighted to have been a part of that spectacle. Well, that wasn't the case for Guillermo Feast tonight. I think he was absolutely gutted. I don't think that necessarily changes anything big picture. I'm not going to speculate about the future for Guillermo Feast, what's possible, any of that. That's not what we do about Guillermo Feast anymore. But I do think it was just ever so slightly different. Yeah, yes, I, I, t- I take that point. I think he can probably he knows his time is limited now. It's it's and this w- he was playing incredibly well. He was feeling great. So I take that point. But I think that the two classic Germain Fils Grand Slam ends are a disappointing straight sets defeat, which this could very easily have ended up being, or a rip roaring comeback, and then ultimately disappointment. Yeah, the approach was a bit different, but the end result okay. was was familiar. Matt's in a grump about it because he loves Gaelmon Feast. He's all in on Gaelmon Feast, but at two sets to love up, he spied an early night. <laughs> and uh, I remind said, everyone, five a.m. last night. He was he was all in for a Gaelmon Feast comeback, but he said, "So long as it's not for nothing." Yeah, and, they, and they so were, I think they I'm were... sitting next to a man that feels like Gaelmon Feast has squandered. Three hours of his sleep for for no good reason. They weren't partying last night, let me tell you, folks. I, I couldn't upload the podcast last night, so Matt put his hand up <laughs> at four a.m. <laughs> we we brought for party fans, vibes. We listened for the people. To, we looked. We listened to folklore. We did in the wee hours of the morning. Anyway, that's Taylor Swift, isn't it? It is, David. David. It is hashtag growth. Check me out. <laughs> Growth all over. Just on Matteo Brotini, finally. I'm I'm so guilty of, of underestimating Berrettini. In, yeah. in the macro sense, you know, when he reached that US Open semi-final, I, I underestimated him then. I did not think that that was, you know, just his new level now. He's a Grand Slam semi-finalist. That's what he does and and very well maybe more. Same if here. not now, then then in the future. Um, I thought, you know, he might make one or two more Grand Slam semifinals, you know, not quite flash in the pan status, but 
didn't see this consistency coming. I didn't realise he had the fangs that he had. I mean, he had an awful lot more fangs than Gail Monfils tonight, frankly, and never drops his intensity. You know, in, in In the micro sense, I'm always underestimating him. You know, mm. I, I really didn't think he was the favourite going into that fifth set, and he's... He's proving me wrong a lot, and uh, I really like him. I'm I'm a I'm a big fan of his. I find the I found uh, you know Gaumont Feast just makes you feel things, doesn't he? And and there's the sense of time running out for Gaumont Feast, which is a a whole different thing. Matteo Berrettini's 25, and as they the commentators, I think it was Darren Cahill on the Channel Nine coverage, kept saying, "Look, he's he's a young 25. He's actually." Mm really quite inexperienced at this level before that US Open breakthrough in 2019 it we knew his name you know we'd maybe watched him once or twice but he that was that was a real massive breakthrough from from nowhere for for him so yeah he is incredibly impressive actually Matteo Berrettini and and he 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 comes to press and he does his interviews and he's so softly spoken, isn't he? And always fiddling with, with his hair. Matt shouted at the telly whilst ruining his lost two hours of sleep. Your hair looks fine, Matteo. <laughs> he, um, he, he tends to be the player that the crowd are not necessarily cheering for unless he's maybe playing someone like Djokovic where he's a clear underdog. It'll be interesting to see where, where they stand with the Nadal match. I think the, the, the sort of sentimental element and also the, just the huge fandom of Nadal will probably mean that he's the favourite. But what tends to happen is when Berrettini's the one that beats them, nobody's angry at Berrettini afterwards. Everybody's thinking, actually, he's quite a nice bloke, isn't he? He's, he's just such a gent. He's coming across really well. Um, and, I, and one thing I did find in that fifth set, I was all set to tell you that Berrettini doesn't really have gears. He has one gear that's a really, really good eight out of 10 gear. You know, he's just, that's what his level is, but he's never going to give you 9.5 and, and pull away. And actually, he he kind of raised it a bit in that fifth set. Mm. And I know Monfils maybe maybe dipped, but I think he was kind of forced to dip because the energy levels that Berrettini found and a bit more on his shots and and a kind of no, I am taking this match now. I don't care what you do. There was a bit of that about it tonight. Yeah, absolutely. So impressive from Matteo Berrettini, and he was asked uh, in his encore interview about the Netflix cameras that are following him around. He's one of the the chosen players that are being followed behind the scenes. And uh, he was asked, you know, what, what will the viewers be treated to? And he said, oh, they'll, they'll find out how messy my bedroom is <laughs> and how much physio I get. So tune in in 2023, <laughs> folks. You might want to get someone else to work for, on the uh, selling yeah. front. Yeah. I'm available. Yeah. I can do the pitching <laughs> for you, Matteo. David... Ever the hype man. So, <laughs> Matteo Berrettini against Rafael Nadal. We'll, we'll be able to preview that properly uh, in a couple of days' time. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. What about the women's matches today? Well, apologies that we're inevitably going to end up dedicating, I think, less time to these two matches because... In two very different ways, I think they were both pretty disappointing. And one of my takeaways from today is how annoyed I am that the men get best of five, particularly at this stage of Islam, and the women don't. You yeah, know, the, those yeah. those are two matches, the two men's matches that were so elevated by being des- best of five mm. um, and such good adverts for best of five tennis. And if you are somebody that believes that best of five tennis is the highest form of the game, then unless you think that women should have access to that highest form of the game, then you're part of the problem, I think, increasingly. That sounds pretty harsh, but if you believe in five-set tennis and think it's a great thing, then you also need to think that women should have access to it. Yeah, and it was com- it was something I said throughout the day because it was just so noticeable on a day like this where, you know, in the first week... I think men and women should be playing the same, but you can, you know, you can spend the whole day watching women's matches if you want to, because there's so many on, on a day like this, where you've got an even split sort of in terms of the number of matches, if the women's matches are quick and the men's matches are long, I mean, it sort of feels like there weren't any women's matches today and they were two big quarterfinals and they just got lost. They just got, overtaken by the men going five sets. I mean, it was a sort of 80, 80, 20% split, I'd have thought, on the day. Maybe even maybe even higher in favour of the men. And that is, that is a problem, I think, especially when you schedule it like this. I, I really think you are, yeah, denying the women the access to this form of the game that, as you say, so many people think is is the highest form or the biggest test, whatever. The elevated and form for a Grand right. Slam, which, is the, mm, which totally. is the big thing, isn't it? And, you know, there will be people um, that pop back in that and say, well, who would have wanted to watch an extra set of, of Ash Barty routing Jessica Pagula? Well, Rafael Nadal was routing Denis Shapovalov, quite frankly. That is and, an understanding tennis, if yeah, that's Yes, exactly. Defense. Because it would just be a different match. Yeah. It wouldn't be that scoreline in the first. You don't run the same race over a different 
distance. Exactly, exactly. Um, anyway, it was a routing from Ash Barty over Jessica Bagula. I thought Ash Barty would win this match. I didn't think I would end up accidentally napping through the whole thing. It was only an hour nap. That's a really short nap for me. I thought I'd just sneak a nap in. I thought they would. I thought they would take an hour. Um, even though the day session overran, I thought, look, it's going to take them an hour to get the day session crowd in and out and the night session crowd in. Then there's the warm up and all the damn faffing. So I'll be, you know, I'll set me my alarm and I'll be there. If not very first ball, then I'll be there for very early stages of Barty. She had won by the time I woke up. I I couldn't believe it. My my son forgot to take his lunchbox into school. So I had to drive (laughs) to the school to to take it to him. And that is a five minute to 10 minute drive. And then another, you know, five minutes on the way back. I do that. And, And honestly, I saw the first four games of this match and I thought, Two things. Oh, error strewn. This is mm. this is all over the place. And I was listening on the radio as well, and they were saying that there'd been, I think, fourteen unforced errors from the racket of Ash Barty in those f- first half a dozen games or whatever, which sounds a hell- heck of a lot, really. And so, and I, and it did go through my head: is is this the one? Is this the match we've seen before from Ash Barty, where suddenly nothing feels quite right, and she starts? making inexplicable errors i get home 10 minutes later it's six two three love you know and by the last and the last three games she's just hitting winners galore i mean jessica pagula looked like she was almost feeding the ball to her rather than trying to beat her um and I, i'm not trying to have a go at her i think she she had a really bad day and also barty can make you look horribly ordinary uh when when she starts hitting her stride but it was that was a weird turnaround, and, and like you said, I missed I missed a good half an hour worth of the, the the bit where it all got decided. Matt, Matt, we're relying on you. <laughs> well, Jessica Pagula looked like someone who had watched her favourite sports team lose in the most gutting fashion. Oh, I feel you, Jesse. Yeah, yeah, I, mean, I had I had done the same. <laughs> Catherine is now a Bill it's, Mafia it's, member. It's tough, it's tough being in the hashtag Bills Mafia. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It is. Um, Look, she she had a bad day. She, she did not provide much resistance for Barty, and it's always difficult to get, you know, to re- to try and figure out whether that was Barty or whether that was just Pagula having an off day. And I think there's probably a bit of both. I think the key difference for me about those first four games is yes, Barty was making errors, but she was also a break up. She had managed to break in the very first game of the match from. 40 love down, Pagula was 40 love up, lost her serve. And then Barty's serve was was fine. And that was keeping her in the match in those early stages because she was she was managing to win three points on that. But Pagula was really struggling on the return. I thought the first set was, you know, wasn't, it was okay from Barty, but those errors did continue. But then in the second set, she just put on a bit of a show, I thought. She was pretty flawless. She She was just controlling the ball, doing everything she wanted to do with it. The slice backhand, I mean, I know we talk about it a lot. It is a, it is a wonder. It is a marvel, the Ash Barty slice backhand. It? It's a weapon. Pagula did not know what to do with it. She didn't know whether to slice it back. She didn't know whether to try and attack it. She didn't know whether to 
defend off it and Barty was moving her about with it and then setting up her forehand, which is also a weapon. She was hitting some excellent smashes. She was coming forward. You know, it was just complete. Everything was working in that second set. And it was it was, kind of, it was sort of a bit tough to watch because it was so one-sided. But at the same time, it was also kind of a joy to just watch Barty expressing herself like that and just cleanly winning the match and yeah it was I thought it was a very very impressive performance in the second set from Barty so who can stop Ash Barty can Madison Keys do it can Madison Keys deal with that slice because I, I, I increasingly I, I think we feel that that's the thing isn't it that's the kryptonite if you can if you can figure out a way to at least new, neutralize that then maybe you have a chance I did I maybe thought Krachikova had the best best chance of dealing with with that slice um yeah. but Krachikova struggled so much today she had the doctor out in court checking her blood pressure I mean it was it was brutal it was I I could not stand outside in the seat it made me feel queasy um and Madison Keys dealt with it better but she she wasn't having a good time she said she trains in Orlando and, you know, that is extremely hot in the summer and she is more used to conditions like this. But, you know, she sort of credited that, I think, with why her game stayed in place during the match. But it wasn't her absolutely best performance. I, th- I thought she was good in the first set, but the second set was quite error-strewn from both of them. Um, but she certainly handled it better than Krejcikova, who, gosh, she, yeah, she really struggled. She was red in the face and... It was it was tough. It was relatable. Um, so Keys, Barty, I mean, we'll have a, a proper opportunity to, to preview that. But just, you know, instinct, David, can she handle that slice? Does she have a chance? I think if she has a really good day, yeah, I do, actually. I, I, I would, look, I would still pick Barty. I'd pick Barty to win the tournament. But then I didn't really expect Barty to be playing Keys. Not, not Keys in this sort of form. And Keys in this sort of form is Blooming dangerous, more dangerous than the vast majority of players in the sport. So, really interesting. And I also think it's quite interesting that she she's seen a lot more different types of players. I think over the course of her career, because her career has gone on a bit longer than a lot of these players. So, you know, I think Jessie Pagula, she, she was just scratching her head. I think trying to work out what do you do with this. Well, I think Key's probably biggest. Uh, issue is going to be avoiding overhitting because you get this low skidding ball at you and it, and you're trying to take full swings at it. She's going to have to time the thing incredibly well. But then I think, you know, this is a woman who trained a lot with Lindsay Davenport who hit, hit these raking low drives with no, no topspin on them at all. I think she's probably got a, a good technique for a lot of it. So I'm, I'm very interested if she could just find her feet and get comfortable. Could be a really good match. She's serving very well, Madison Keys. She's, she's really hitting a lot of aces, um, holding serve comfortably a lot of the time. And, you know, if she can keep it close, if she can stay with Barty, which we've not really seen anyone do. I guess Anissa Mova came closest, I think a 6-4 set. But otherwise, it's sort of been plain sailing for Barty. So we haven't really seen her tested yet. And, you know, 
that's always a bit different, I think, playing playing under pressure. Um, but yeah, Madison Keys, longest winning streak of her career now after the Adelaide title and and now this. Pretty, you know, pretty much the form of her life, mm. kind of kind of from nowhere. It's really just impressive what she's doing. So Keys against Barty is one semi-final. The other will be either Danielle Collins or Elise Cornet. They play at 11am tomorrow morning. Don't love this schedule. That'll come as a surprise to no one. Uh, that's followed by not before 1pm. Sviontek against Kinepi. So the women get the joy of playing again in the heat of the day when it's too hot to play and too hot to watch. So the stands are empty. I know there's the argument that that they they play the next day and all of that. How, would, but, you, how would you schedule that? I was trying to think about this earlier. I mean, what what should be happening? Well, it depends what your starting point is, isn't it? I mean, the, I'm sure the defence of the schedule will be that the women's semi-finals are played the next day. So you to to lessen the inequality of the two sides of the draw, you want those playing tomorrow the day before the semi-finals to have maximum recovery time but that starting point is one of massive inequality it's one that you know priced into it is an acceptance that the women are going to get shafted you know my starting point would be okay women aren't going to get shafted here what can we do with it you know take everything off the table what can we do you don't have to have the men's final on sunday well that, that's you right, don't have yeah. to have anything where it is mm. um so i don't know exactly what it would look like but that would be my starting even, point. even if you just said we'll alternate it year year mm. on year you know and yes one one year men are going to get more unlucky than women and women are going to get more unlucky than men but it'll even itself mm. out then yeah. We have four slams a year. We could do two each. Mm. Yeah. The possibilities are endless if if the will is there. Um, so those are the J-Session uh, women's matches. And uh, not before 3pm is Sinner against Sitsipas. And from 7.30 is Felix Auger, alias Seam, against Daniil Medvedev. And that's followed by a mixed doubles semi-final of uh, Lucy Herdechka and... Uh, Gonzalo Escobar, uh, and they're against the Australian pairing of Jamie Fourlis and uh, Jason Kubler. And I know of Gonzalo Escobar because he, in the men's doubles, has been one of the victims of the team that Channel 9 are calling the Special Ks. And I don't love that. <laughs> Matt's heard me exclaim at the telly a lot today. It's Nick Kyrgios and Tanasi Kokinakis, and uh, and they're they're into the men's doubles semi-finals. They beat Tim Puerts and Michael Venus today in three sets on the Kia Arena, and uh, they're a good doubles pair, Puerts and Venus. Uh, I saw quite a lot of Puerts at the end of last year and was so impressed with him. They they take some beating. Uh, they'll na- now face Marcel Granollers and Horatio Zabayos. Um, I'm really torn about the special case and I'm using Madison Key's uh, inverted commas when I say that. Check out our Twitter if you don't know what I'm talking about. Um, because they're lighting up the tournament. The crowds are really into them. It is, it is creating atmosphere and buzz around the tournament. And I love atmosphere like. and buzz. All the things I like. And I don't 
dislike them. I'm I'm quite off Nick Kyrgios. Um, I really like Tanasi. I think it's Tanasi, isn't it? Kokonakis. But I just don't love this. I don't. I just don't. I'm not into it myself. I'm not anti it happening for the tournament. I can see that that's a good thing. And if you're into it, listener, good luck to you. I myself am not swept away with it. I haven't enjoyed their interviews. I found them. We we received a, a brilliant message today, actually, on on email from. Um, from somebody who we we briefly thought was Steve Smith, the former Australian cricket captain, who is a massive tennis fan and I think sometimes listens to the podcast. Hello, Steve, if you're listening. But actually, it was a different Steve Smith. Yes, because this Steve Smith referenced watching uh, Yvonne Goulagong beat Chris Evert, <laughs> which I don't think the other Steve Smith would remember. Um, I prefer this Steve. Steve. This Steve, Stephen, I should say, uh, did us a real favour, actually, because he watched the post-match interview of, of the special case today so that we didn't have to. Um, and he referenced the the toxic masculinity of it. And I think that's what is really off-putting to me. Just the whole vibe feels very, you know, balls out on the table and sort of, I don't know, it just feels very much like the same vibe as all the people that were shouting Sue to me. Mm. Yeah. I know I sound like a grump. I know. Mm. And I don't, if you're enjoying it, Good luck to you, and that's great. I just personally am not swept up in the right wave. But anyway, Nick Kyrgios and the Nasty Kokonakis, who, in Kyrgios' own words, in fact, before today's win, are the favourites for the tournament. And my God, that will have riled all the doubles teams in that. I mean, Michael Venus looked like he was ready to go for Nick Kyrgios today. It was right on the edge out there. And I know this because I watched almost the whole match because Channel 9 cut away from Shapoval of Nadal in order to show, you know, sort of middle of the first set, Kyrgios and Kokonakis. And maybe I'm not in touch with what the Australian tennis viewers want, but it wasn't wasn't what I wanted at that particular moment. But anyway, um, that's that's the special case covered. Um, The other... Uh, semi-final in the men's doubles. Hang on a second. Yeah, no, the other semi-final is yet to be decided in the men's doubles. There's the two quarterfinals, Wesley Kulhoff and Neil Skubski. And they haven't lost a match this year. They've, they've won two titles coming into the Australian Open and now they've made their way through to the quarters. That's, that's that, again, mm. pretty pretty extraordinary little run they're putting together as a as a new pairing. They take on uh, Matt Ebden and Max Purcell, the Australian pairing. He must be a bit pissed off that they're not getting any attention as an Aussie pairing into the quarterfinals because um, their thunder is being stolen. But anyway, uh, they will play tomorrow, as will Simone Bellelli and Fabio Fanini partying like it's 2005. Uh, they'll take on Rajiv Ram and Joe Salisbury, the second seeds. Uh, so what about the women's doubles competition? Uh, we still have 
Barbora Kuchikova and uh, Katerina Siniakova going strong in that. They're the top seeds. They'll play their quarterfinal tomorrow against Caroline Dollarhide and Storm Sanders, the Aussie. Storm Sanders, of course, often plays with Ash Barty, but Barty playing just singles at this tournament. The other quarter from the top half is Veronica Kudamitova and Elise Mertens taking on Kirsten Flipkins and Sara Cerebez Tormo. Uh, and already into the semi-finals um, in the bottom half of the women's doubles is Beatrice Haddad Meyer and her partner Anna Danilina, who I have to say I've never heard of before. Twenty-six years old from Kazakhstan. Singles ranking three hundred and thirty-four, doubles fifty-three. Uh, they're taking on in the semi-finals the second seeds from Japan, Ariyama and Shibahara. So tough task for them. And in the mixed doubles, as I said, there's that Furless Kubler against Hrodechka Escobar match tomorrow. And there's also Kihuna Denovic and Ivan Dodig, the fifth seeded pairing, against Zhang Shui and uh, John Pierce, the second seeds. Uh, so they, uh, the winners of that, will play in the mixed doubles final. Um, in quad wheelchair news, uh, Dylan Alcott is into the finals. No surprise there of the quad men's wheelchair singles. He is going for an eighth, not just an eighth. I mean, that would be a, quite a big thing in itself. He's going for an eighth consecutive title at the Australian Open at the weekend. And it, it will be his last ever match. He has announced that he is retiring after that match. And... He, I mean, he was a big deal before today in Australia. He's been he's been bringing all the vibes this tournament. I think uh, um, was it Todd Woodbridge today in the Channel Nine coverage described him as having more energy than anybody he's ever met. He's doing broadcast at this tournament. He's playing playing and very possibly winning the uh, the quad wheelchair singles. He's playing his old rival Sam Schroeder um, in the final and today. After winning his semi-final, he then got on a plane to Canberra for the Australian of the Year ceremony and, no great surprise, won Australian of the Year today and uh, gave a lovely speech accepting accepting that prize about, you know, his, his goal has always been to to make life a bit better for for disabled people and disabled athletes and give them the life that they all of course, absolutely deserve. And uh, he's quite a guy, Dylan Alcott, and uh, he's just good vibes, or bon vibes, as Elise Cornet would say. He's good news, isn't he, for this this fortnight? <laughs> Has anyone ever won a Grand Slam title just while being in a different city during some of it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, you're the man that does the stats. <laughs> <laughs> a nice hospital pass for you there, Matt. <laughs> yeah, that's tomorrow sorted. <laughs> yeah, I don't know is the answer to that, but I would love to find out if anybody that's really good at stats could let me know. Mm, or people with excellent memories of quirky things happening during Grand mm. Slam tournaments. Yes. So well, anyway, that is Davis. the ex- extraordinary Dylan Alcott. I do, I do remember Andre Pavel once going to the birth of his kid halfway through a Grand Slam in a completely different city. 
Um, yeah, that was the Frank Show open, wasn't yes, it? Yes, but but he didn't win the title, so you know, a bit disappointing. Okay, Andre, before really. you two completely nerd out, <laughs> shall I do shall I do shout outs and thank yous and can, all of the can, all that can, jazz? Can I just tell you one thing that I've just read that Gail Monfils has said in his press conference? You can, which will get you because he's oh, been asked no. about. God. He, he said, he said, look, it's tough for me, but somehow I'm not losing the faith. I need one time. I won't win 20, but one time, just one time I need. And I'm working for this. I still believe I can do it. It's hard. 20 years I've been trying. But who knows? This year, it might click. Oh. I believe. I take it all back. (laughs) (laughs) That has sort of given me the power to believe. Go on, Gail. I look. Oh. I'm not predicting, but I believe it's possible. There we go. There's a woolly tennis podcast prediction for you to end yeah. on. Proud of you, Catherine. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> what have we got? We've got our mascots, and I would like to say a very big thank you and congratulations to Carter because I scored. Well, we scored. How many points today, Matt? 60 points for 60 Nadal points. in five. Yes, please. Oh. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's all coming up, Catherine and Carter. Um, <laughs> Matt and Gerald the Cat, no dice. Had Nadal in four. Mm. And David uh, and Darwin. Turns and out Monfils didn't four. beat Berrettini in four. Mm. Sorry, sorry, so there Darwin. we go. Billy Jean's got Billy Jean King and Alana Kloss. Loving life, Billy Jean. Uh, we've got our executive producers, Carl Weingartner and Chris Albert Lee. They're both top blokes. Uh, we have Charlie, our Australian Open mascot. We love Charlie. Keep the content coming. Uh, and we've got shout outs, Matt. We have Michelle Dean, Newport Beach, California. Hello, Michelle. Are we talking Dean, Dean Smith or Luca Dean? Very much Dean Smith. Well, <laughs> the spelling anyway. Hello, Michelle. Are, are Hi, there Michelle. any tennis players called Michelle? Michelle Kwan, my favourite ever figure skater. Mm. Michelle Obama's I, quite. Michelle Obama, yeah. I was trying to keep it at least, at least athletic, David, if ah. not tennis. Well, you know. But sure, she is also a great Michelle. <laughs> there are many, so many. Thank you, Michelle. We have a trio of shout-outs next who have all been tennis friends since 2000. And between them, they live in Sydney or Brisbane. And it's for Joe, Fee and PJ. Oh, I love this. All right, Joe, Fee and PJ. Is it possible that they are the three that we met the other night? Lots of things are possible. If you are, then I'm really sorry I didn't didn't make it to say hello and have a drink with you in the deck chairs. Um, I really did intend to, but you know, matters matters overtook. Um, if, if it's not, not you, then then <laughs> if it's not you, then hello anyway you know, and thank you. Hello, hello and thank you anyway. Yes, Jofie and PJ, loving your work. And finally, we have one of our. 
very favourite people, Sophie Smith. Oh, oh, we really do love Sophie. All right, Sophie. So- Sophie's Bond vibes as well, I think. Oh, definitely. And yeah. she's also added in little Tilly as well, oh. who claps when she hears your voices. Oh, oh. it's all that's too lovely. much. Can't handle that and, and Guillermo Feast. That's really very <laughs> lovely. Uh, look, folks, that is it for day eight of this. Day eight? Day nine? No, it must day be day nine. nine. Day, day nine. nine, yeah, day nine. Although if you add on all the Djokovic stuff at the beginning, it's <laughs> actually about day 29. <laughs> we'll be back with more tomorrow, of course. We still have five more of these things, plus a special uh, uh, Grand Slam review show for Friends of the Pod. So if you'd like to become a friend of the pod, you can become a friend of the pod. Uh, check the link in our show notes, get yourself a shout out or an intro, or just become a friend of the show and get all the lovely bonus content. Uh, Leave us an iTunes review. Definitely subscribe to the newsletter. I helped a little bit with the stat today. Very proud of myself. Uh, And we'll be back with one more of these tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.